Our Father, again, we are reminded that you've asked us to come, not only to come in prayer, but to come boldly, boldly, and not before the throne of judgment, but before the throne of grace. And we do that, Father, and uh, we're to uh, seek at your throne of grace uh, the things that we're in need of. But, Father, you've asked us to thank you to recognize your sovereignty. So we, we do come with thanksgiving on our hearts and praise uh, to you and to our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for delivering us from the bondage to sin and death. Thank you for setting us in, even in the heavenlies in Christ himself at your right hand. Thank you that we can look down on the things of the earth and see that they become strangely dim looked at from that heavenly perspective thank you that we can have a heavenly uh, manner of thinking and that you help us in that regard and that you encourage us throughout the day to think on things that are above not on things on this earth father i pray that we would be learning through these times whether they're difficult times of lack or times of abundance father uh, whatever the circumstances may be i pray that we would be learning to walk by grace and uh, to live in the light of your abundant provision so father thank you that we can meet this morning after thanksgiving though father we have many burdens on our hearts when we come to you in prayer and uh, one of them now, Father, in addition to caring so much for our nation and that you would uh, deliver it from the evil and the evil ones and set it on a proper course, and that you would influence uh, our people as they go to the polls and uh, that coming up only a month away, Father, we're so concerned. And uh, now this additional Concern, Father, that's on all of our hearts regarding our president and his wife and others uh, in the administration. Father, I pray that you would deliver them from the curse of this virus quickly without long-term effect. I pray that you would rapidly bring healing to their bodies. We know that you are the great source of healing, not the medical establishment. But Father, we do pray that they would receive the care that they need and that it would be a benefit to them. And I pray that they would be encouraged today and all of us would be encouraged as we hear how you're working there. Father, I pray that you would give our people a desire for truth. There's so many lies, so many are so willing to believe lies. And it just seems like... Uh, they're willing to believe any lies, no matter how impossible, no matter how ridiculous. But Father, I pray that they would seek truth, and most importantly, truth concerning you and your son. That they would receive the truth that our Lord Jesus is, in fact, for he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So, Father, I pray that many would in these days and that you enable us to be lights in the darkness as well. Many young ones who've gone off to college in the university. So, Father, please be with each one. There are many, many threats uh, to them that they face daily. Uh, many enemies abound. Please protect them, guide them, and, and uh, direct them and Give them a desire, Father, for that knowledge which is far above what they might be receiving there at the, uh, the university, uh, but rather can only be found in your precious word of truth. Please draw them to that, Father, in these days. And Father, I'm thinking of uh, so many more burdens uh, regarding our current circumstances, not only here in this country, but in the world, as we see darkness 
abounding in its effects uh, in the hearts of so many. It's just like there's this uh, cloud upon life and it's threatening indeed. So other may we not forget ever forget uh, that the lights are burning and uh, there is light at the end of this tunnel for us personally as believers uh, there's this glorious and heavenly hope that we uh, so much are, are uh, looking for and that is to be caught up into heaven's glory perhaps today and father we just thank you for this opportunity to open your word together now and for the blessings of that and before i close father i'm reminded of those who are healing from other other concerns other uh, trials of life and thank you for encouraging those uh, and uh, so father we just wait on you to see how you work in these matters and uh, and thank you now in christ's name and amen today we're continuing in first timothy paul's first letter to timothy last time we finished up that seven-part series on prisoners of hope. In one sense, we can never be finished with it because <laughs> we are indeed prisoners of hope, and I'm sure that's now written in our hearts after spending so much time on the subject. hope that's been a blessing for you. It certainly has been for me. Last time we looked at the Pauline women, those that Paul was ministering with who were very uh, beneficial in fact critical to his ministries uh, during his missionary journeys and then in the churches that were established and we looked at uh, a number of them mentioned by name i pointed out how there were 18 women overall mentioned by paul by name in his letters and there was a, a critique of, of two because they were not getting along so well. But but even there, it was a very positive statement that Paul left, uh, left them with. I mean, he valued very, very highly these women who had sacrificed so much for the sake of the truth and for the sake of ministry. And uh, mentioned uh, so many, 18 overall. We, we looked into Romans chapter 16 because there Paul gives an outline, including mention of 10 different women by name. And uh, he broke that list down into seven categories. And we went through those sort of one at a time. And I don't want to take time now to go through them all again, just to give you a, a highlight here or there. Remember, some, some of them were patron saints. <laughs> saints. Uh, they supported Paul in his ministry financially and in other ways. Uh, one of them, she's the first one mentioned in Romans chapter 16, was named Phoebe. And she actually was entrusted with the letter to the Romans. She carried the letter to the Romans, delivered it clearly to them successfully with God's help, <laughs> I'm sure. So that's Phoebe. And she was, uh, it says there in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, she was a servant of the church that was at Centria, right? Um, he mentions others who traveled with him in his, in his uh, missionary journeys and were used by God not only to establish churches, but also to hold their meetings in their own homes. Uh, one particular couple mentioned six different times by Paul uh, was that of Priscilla and Aquila. And it says they they had laid down their own necks for his life. Okay, so there there were those such as Priscilla and Aquila who were willing to sacrifice themselves, even their own lives, for the sake of the Apostle Paul. Well, they were all clearly prisoners of hope, and they looked forward to something far better than they would ever experience in this life. Uh, 
Many served together with Paul in special ways. Uh, there were those that he calls prisoners of war at the point of a spear. <laughs> so the spiritual battle waged uh, large, but um, there were, what is it, four, four different ones who he called uh, by that special terminology, translated fellow prisoners in Paul's letters in the, in the King James translation, fellow prisoners. Okay, that doesn't mean they were imprisoned in a jail necessarily, but they were uh, spiritually uh, linked to Paul in such a special way they might as well have been uh, in a prison cell together with him. And uh, there are others. Uh, two of them mentioned are Timothy's mother and grandmother, and uh, they're, they're exalted very highly in uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, where he mentions them as how they had raised up Timothy to be the man that he was and to be the man that he should be as he was heading up the church in Ephesus. And then finally, we saw the last one mentioned by name uh, in Paul's letters. In fact, in his last words, uh, a woman named Claudia. And uh, so considering the last position to be essentially equivalent to the first in terms of importance, Paul held Claudia and her ministerial service very, very high. She was a woman of... of um, privilege, but had come to give up all of that for the sake of the truth of the gospel and its ministry. So those were the Pauline women. Today, I'd like us to go on in chapter three. And in terms of the overall focus of the letter, just so you don't lose track of this, the overall theme of the entire letter, the first letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, is that of the sovereignty of God and the order that God has established in the creation. <laughs> Looking at this from a very high level, and that's really what Paul is doing in this letter, as he starts out right in the first verses, talking about how God has ordained uh, all things, including the whole dispensational plan of God from the beginning, right? And so we live today under grace, not law. That's that's something we must accept because God has foreordained that and has accomplished the uh, institution of it, using the Apostle Paul specifically in a special way for that, of course, right? Uh, sovereignty of God has established the overall uh, plan for creation, and in that plan there is a hierarchy, a hierarchy of authority which really must be recognized. And uh, there are many dimensions to that, and Paul actually writes in this one letter about a number of those. It's quite a large number, really, of the different levels of hierarchy and how respecting that is so essential uh, for us personally and in our lives as we live our lives within the context of these different orders of authority, right? <clears throat> Some of those orders of authority are within a nation, right? There are leaders in a nation that Paul writes are part of that hierarchy. Uh, there are uh, <clears throat> orders of responsibility and authority within families, husband and wife. Paul writes about that. Parents and children, that's uh, important indeed, right? And then within the church, and that's really what chapter three is about, the order of authority within the church assemblies. It's Paul's main focus here in this chapter. So when we consider all of that, we won't be surprised going from the end of chapter two Remember what that's all about. It's about the consequences of what happened in the Garden of Eden and how 
women were put in a special place in relationship to men at that time, but not without great hope, right? They're prisoners of hope. We certainly will never forget that, right? Uh, he goes immediately on to the order of uh, authority within the church itself uh, in chapter 3. So, again, it, it's um, God is sovereign over all, but he has instituted many different uh, areas of responsibility. And uh, the consequence of that in our lives is that we must know how and where to live in a submissive way or if god's given us authority to to exercise our uh, our administration really of that authority with with great honor and uh, wisdom that's what chapter three will all be about be about paul will write about here the bishops and the deacons and their god-given authority within the church and how that's supposed to operate and how important it is for all to recognize it. So if we put a title on this, it's going to be a heavenly service requires heavenly minded leaders. <laughs> a heavenly service requires heavenly minded leaders. First of all, Church officers must be heavenly minded. <laughs> That's stated so clearly. Secondly, church officers must be exemplary. <laughs> and when you list, look at the list of their qualifications, you will be overwhelmed. I guarantee it. Okay. Church officers must be exemplary. In other words, able to stand as examples for others. And then the third is Paul's Paul's heavenly standard for his son in the faith, Timothy, is high indeed. <laughs> oh, my. The standard for Timothy is so very, very high. It seems somewhat overwhelming, but it was not to be taken that way. Timothy was expected to live up to the exhortation of the Apostle Paul. And as I've said before, it would be easy to conclude from Paul's letters that when Paul left the scene uh, through his martyrdom, that Timothy, his son in the faith, was there to walk in his shoes until his martyrdom, of course, right? Uh, <clears throat> and then it would go on from one generation to another. Okay, so first of all, church officers must be heavenly minded. I want to read uh, these two sections of scripture first, and then we'll speak of them. Okay, so Lisa, would you please read first for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Okay, thank you, Lisa. Oh, that's a high standard indeed for the office of bishop, as Paul writes here. Anne, would you continue reading there, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. 
and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, And Okay, so that's a long list. These lists are not that long compared to <laughs> the list that we'll make in a moment, which includes everything written as uh as qualifications for these two different offices. If you look at other scripture, put it all together into uh, an expanded list, the list is very, very long indeed. And we'll do that in a moment. <laughs> okay, so first of all, let's answer a question as to what is an officer, okay? He, he talks here about the office of a bishop and, and of a deacon, the office. Okay, well, <laughs> In our day, we, we also use this expression this way, this term office this way. We think of the office of the president, don't we? The office of the president of the United States, all right? The office of the president of the United States is not to be identified or, or, or simply defined as a particular room in a building, even if that's the White House building in Washington, D.C. The office of the president is not the Oval Office, not in the sense that the word is being used here. This word is being used in a higher sense here. An office speaks of the position, does it not? In the case of the president, the office of the president is the position the president holds. One may respect the office and not the person holding the office, therefore, right? It's very important to keep uh, that distinction well in our minds. So Paul here is writing about the office. In other words, the position with its recognized authorities and responsibilities uh, with here within the churches, right? Uh, and uh, for the office of a bishop, he, he makes this first list in the office of deacon. Okay, so an officer is one who has been assigned a position with assigned privileges and responsibilities, okay? It's not the same either as spiritual gifts. Some are gifted in one way, some are in another way, right? One may hold an office and not have a particular spiritual gift, therefore. Two different concepts altogether. All right. Now, there are also other terms used uh, here in if we, we compare Scripture with Scripture. We see the word bishop here. What that word means, if we looked at the, the Greek of it, it means overseer, overseer. One at the top who looks over the whole landscape, right, and is responsible for it. So a bishop is an overseer, okay? And another word is also used, and that's the word elder, elder. Okay, so when we look at different places, which we'll do there in a moment, we'll see there's bishops, and that's uh, the position, the office, right? And then there's uh, the office of overseer and the office of elder. And what we're going to see is that they're, that's all the same office. Okay, the same office. Um, and then there's the office of deacon. All right, so let's go on. What about these offices and their qualifications? There are many qualifications listed, aren't there? Uh, first of all, let's consider the bishops or the overseers. Uh, and as we shall see, they're also called elders uh, in another letter of the Apostle Paul. Just, just to highlight this. What's on the list there of uh, the list of 
qualifications well <laughs> he starts out in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3 with the word blameless blameless <clears throat> okay now Paul is not writing about sinless perfection here nobody is sinless uh, what he's writing about is when a person is considered for the office in this case the highest office in the local assembly um, he comes with much experience and so it's easily possible to to uh, determine whether or not there are charges you know considerable weighty charges that might be brought against him in our government right now there is a process to uh, confirm a supreme court justice okay there's a confirmation process what do they do in the confirmation process they examine the history that that individual already has right to determine if they are to be blamed or blameless in some substantial way right so that's what this is all about a bishop must be blameless okay it, it doesn't mean sinless it means there's no charge against that person that would disqualify them and i think he, what he's really doing is using that term as a general term that covers everything else here listed okay so how does one fail the test <laughs> well well one way is by not being the husband of one wife that's the very next thing mentioned here right now what does that mean I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Let's just put it on the list for now. Uh, notice the list is extremely long. There, there are many details given here. One of them that kind of stands out, in my mind at least, is uh, in verse 4. He says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now remember, I said the overall theme of the whole letter is the sovereignty of god and how god then delegates down in the order of hierarchies uh, authorities and responsibilities and uh, how that must be uh, honored by all right and so here he says he's talking about ruling one's house so the father is to rule his house okay having his children in subjection okay the children are to respond to that and honor their father right if they don't <laughs> then there could be a challenge brought against this individual that would discredit and disqualify the person from becoming a bishop you see uh, that's what this is all about and it does say something about that in verse 5 if a man know not how to rule his own house how shall he take care of the church of god right um now it's very clear that in the church today there is not a lot of attention being paid to some of these matters uh, it's a very sad thing indeed and, and disqualifies a great many uh, as uh, leaders in the churches right uh, he says that 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 has an effect on one's ministry that cannot be ignored right so spiritually speaking if a person is in a position has the office but they are unqualified or become unqualified then they tarnish the ministry in a serious way spiritually and uh, the effect of that uh, actually is eternal okay so that's first uh, timothy chapter 3 regarding the bishops then if we turn over to titus chapter one we'll go over to titus chapter one and uh, before we look at that and compare it with what we just read in first timothy i'd like linda linda to read it for us so linda would you please read titus chapter one verses five through nine for this cause left i thee in crete that thou should have set in order the things that are wanting and ordained elders every city as i have appointed thee if any be blameless the husband of one wife having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of god not selfish not soon angry 
not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able he may be able to sound doctrine, both to extort and to convince the gainsayers. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Linda. Both to see there's there's power in the that person's ministry. Holding that's a wonderful verse indeed. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to by sound doctrine or teaching, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, okay? Because it is spiritual warfare indeed, right? Anyone who has entered into this office needs to be prepared. They need to count the cost. They need to know it's going to be a a battle uh, indeed because Satan is acting like a roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may destroy. Okay, so, but verse 7 uses the word bishop. Verse 5 used the word elder. In the same context, okay. So that's why I say elders and bishops are are equivalent. <clears throat> okay, um, but there are no pastor teachers mentioned. Why not? Where are the pastor teachers? Well, that designation is the designation of a spiritual gift, not an office. Okay, so uh, Paul writes about the spiritual gifts and gifted men in Ephesians chapter 4. And in verse 11, he mentions the pastor teachers, okay? That's a gift. It's not the same as an office. There are pastors who are not installed in any public ministry, right? They're gifted. They're teachers. Similarly, we all know about that, right? So let's things separate in our minds. Now, if we put this list together, this 1 Timothy chapter 1, or chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3 list and the Titus chapter 1 list, we put them together, we have a long list, okay? It turns out there are, as I count it, 25 things on the list, okay? Uh, it's amazing. Okay, so starts out with the word blameless, as, as you recall, blameless, right? And then he goes on to give the details. The first thing being the husband of one wife. Well, we could conclude certain things about what that means easily, right? The husband of one wife. Does it mean one as opposed to two or three or four or ten? No, I don't think it does. I don't think he's talking about monogamy. I don't think that's the point of this. The point of this is it's really something far more significant. And it's that the man who is um, qualified to be the overseer or the elder or the uh, bishop is a one-woman kind of man. <laughs> That's really what the Greek words mean. He's a one-woman kind of man. That man is different from many others who are not one woman in their mentality and character, okay? <laughs> that means there's a focus, <clears throat> right? It is not uh, something that is subject to circumstances and... and uh, so forth. That does not mean there's no temptation. It's not talking about temptations. It's talking about character, right? Talking about how one lives their lives and how faithful they are in their focus on that one woman. So that's what it means to say the husband of one wife. Uh, could it be translated a little better to make that clear? I suspect it could. The words used there, though, um, are words that speak of men and women, right? It's, it's a one-woman man. 
literally speaking. Okay. That's simple enough. I think we can all understand it, right? Now, many men are not of this sort and they don't qualify. They don't qualify. Now, does that imply that that uh, there's no uh, divorce and remarriage and so forth? Well, it implies all kinds of things. But, you know, for that doctrine, we'd have to go to a different scripture, right, to establish all of that. But here he simply says, first on the list, uh, one is blameless if one at least meets that requirement. And then let's add on all the others. Okay. <clears throat> the next one, uh, no, I'm not trying to put them in a particular order, but let's just uh, say next on the list uh, is in terms of at least its impact on the congregations, right, is uh, that the children be faithful and subject to their father's oversight and respectful. Now, if the children are not respectful of the father, is that father going to be able to, as he puts it here, rule well within the assembly? It's going to be very difficult, right? And uh, <clears throat> certainly if members of the congregation are disrespectful, that will also impact uh, how well the uh, overseer can, can function in that capacity, right, in that office. But, but not nearly as much as if the children uh, themselves are not willing to submit to the rule of that of that father. So I consider that to be a very important one. Now, when we start to look at the list as it becomes longer, we see how exalted a standard this is. How can there be such a high, I would say, a heavenly standard, right, for any human being? How could anybody live up? to these qualifications, right? And yet he says very clearly, this is the way it must be, right? So what's next on the list? And I, as I said, I'm not trying to put them in an order, but I'm just going to start reading them. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, that means ready Willing and able, right? Apt to teach. Stewards of God. <laughs> oh, my. Stewards of God. Not self-willed, not soon angered, not given to wine. No striker. That's to striking out without good reason, right? Against another. T temperate. Means well-mannered and self-control. Not given to filthy lucre. That means not motivated by dollars and cents, right? Um, not covetous. More than dollars and cents is involved there. It's whether a person, in fact, is is an idolater, right? And Paul says that uh, covetousness is idolatry, right? Lover of good men. That means you surround yourself by people who are honorable, respectful, and good. Sober. Not a brawler, just patient, holy. And then he says two things which are quite interesting. Of good report of those that are without the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Then he adds, not a novice or a beginner, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Remember how the devil fell. He had pride, right? He thought he was above even God himself, right? Even above his creator. Okay. And he had no experience. He just felt he was above and then he began to act accordingly as if he were himself the creator and above all. So, so the, that's the list, and uh, except for one, which we already highlighted, holding fast the faithful word and able to convince others, okay? Well, that's such an exalted list. How could anybody ever live up to it, right? Uh, I mean, you could be disqualified in a moment, right? 
uh, <clears throat> just by some failure tomorrow at 3 p.m., right? Uh, if somebody happens to notice. Well, there are things that can disqualify a person from this office, indeed. But what Paul is doing here is listing the uh, qualifications uh, that one must meet in order to be appointed or installed in that particular office. Uh, and he doesn't say it's optional. He says that this is a requirement, right? And uh, that's just an amazing thing, isn't it? Uh, God's standard for those that would minister heavenly truth is very, very heavenly. It's very, very high, in other words. And uh, as I put on the title here today, a heavenly service requires heavily, heavenly-minded leaders. Now, if we look at the deacon qualifications, they're very, very similar, you notice. Very similar. Um, the one thing that stands out, though, is this focus on the mystery of the faith in 1 Timothy 3.9, the mystery of the faith, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And then in, uh, as we get down to verse 16 at the end there, he mentions the mystery again. And uh, I think what, what, what Paul is doing here is exalting to the highest level this office, which he calls deacon here, or another way to translate that word would be servant, Right, uh, but it's an official position within the church, uh, within the local church, and uh, not mundane, not uh, worldly in focus, as so many today might say. Oh, deacons, uh, their job is to collect the, the the offerings and manage them well, or something like that. Well, 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 well. it's far, far more than that, <laughs> indeed, as Paul says here, right. And he mentions the mystery of the faith in connection to it. And I think that it would apply to all, all who would serve the Lord God. And uh, I want us to uh, look at that now um, by having Gail read those last, those last three verses in First uh, Timothy 3, because there we see the heavenly standard that Paul is setting for his own son in the faith for Timothy. And that's to to be a, an example for all then who would serve, whether bishops, elders, overseers, deacons, or how about how about just us, ordinary ones? Gail, would you read for us, please, First Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen through sixteen? I will. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know that how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Oh, my. Thank you, Gail. Those three verses are not only a fitting point, a place to stop today, but it, it's such an incredible statement. We'll have to come back there again next week and look at this even more. But Paul uses the word mystery twice there, the mystery of the faith. He's already mentioned uh, there in the earlier verse, in uh, verse number nine. Right, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And then here in verse 16, without controversy. <clears throat> well, everything is in the realm of controversy in this world where we live. <clears throat> but Paul here is writing the truth of God, right? And what does he say about the church? And uh, its exalted position there in verse 15, uh, just an amazing statement. He, he says to Timothy, I want to come shortly and be with you again. But if, if I'm delayed, verse 15, if I'm delayed, I want you to know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church 
of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. I mean, I, I don't know whether we think of it this way as often as we should, but we we often may be focused on the lies being told around us. Yes, it's very clear. But to see it clearly, one would have to realize that the church, as he writes it here, the church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. <clears throat> Without the church, mankind is lost indeed in darkness, in evil lies, right? Satan's great desire is that mankind not know the truth. <clears throat> okay? And the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's an exalted and heavenly organism. <clears throat> and here on earth, those of us who are members of that exalted assembly have a responsibility and a privilege to display that truth in all of its dimensions, right? Not only in words, but in life, right? And so he says in verse 16, without controversy, <clears throat> In other words, there's no real authority that can challenge this, okay? No real authority. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, hmm. justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. I will come back and speak to these verses next time, Lord willing, because this is one of the most, it should be one of the most encouraging and certainly one of the most uplifting statements we could ever read, right, concerning the church of God and uh, how God would use that heavenly assembly in a dark corrupt and evil world, right? Praise God for his abundant grace. Uh, God's sovereignty should be honored by us all. And uh, Paul's standard for Timothy is ours, okay? Is ours as well. Uh, so Lord, uh, bless all of you and uh, may you... Uh, Never forget what Paul has written here concerning the offices in the church and the exalted standard that God has for the church, which is Christ's body, a heavenly organism. It's not a building. The church is not a building. We should stop talking like that. The church is a heavenly organism. It may meet in a home or in a building somewhere. That's that's not the most important thing at all. In fact, it's not even high on the scale, right? So praise God for his abundant grace. Are there any questions or comments today? I think this is a warning to us, too, that when we see these things lacking in our leadership, that uh, we should be very cautious. Oh, yes. Very, very true, Linda. But discernment's required, too. I mean, so many, I mean, the problem is compromise and uh, just one step at a time, people start yes. buying into evil, you know. <laughs> well, my, my observation has been when you see these these things not abided to, that it brings trouble into the church maybe even years later. Sure, it certainly does, yeah. It may take a, a while to be visible, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I knew an instance of a young man that was a deacon in a church long before I was a member of the church. Years later, it split the church, and it was a result of a man who should not have been a deacon at that particular time of his life Mm -hmm. He was very young when they made him a deacon and unmarried. Mm -hmm. That made him prideful. Mm -hmm. And years later, it split the church. Well, I think most of us have 
watch that happen in uh, in the churches. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's so destructive to the testimony of the church and and to the lives of many who are part of it. And uh, we have some good friends who are ministers in the church and they actually have moved a number of times from one locality to another seeking an honorable church and they would find it and become part of the ministry there well not even part of the ministry part of the group just joining in the group and then learning things that were just despicable things going on there in the midst and uh and when they brought this out to see what the leaders there would do about these things they acted like uh, well this is just to be expected they don't be concerned it's the way it is it's just the way it is right oh my such a low standard indeed yeah okay any other uh comments it's a good one linda take note of that any other comments? Okay. Anyone want to add anything? It's very uplifting and encouraging. Well, thank you. The Word of God is so amazing and so wonderful. We need to always uh, receive it, uh, allow God to write it on our hearts that uh, we might be encouraged day by day and moment by moment, right? Okay. Thank you, Gail. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. It's been a blessing to be together. And uh, so we have so much to be thankful for. And, and we just uh, offer that praise and thanksgiving to you, Father. And if we should turn aside into confusion, doubts, fears, certainly these things uh, are common to mankind. And Father, I pray that you would reach out to us, intersect with us in our lives, if we should enter into that mode of thinking, leaving a heavenly mode of thinking behind and dwelling uh, in matters here on this earth where uh, we can only be uh, defeated spiritually. So, Father, please remind us of our heavenly position and the, uh, the glories that you are there offering to us, not only in this life, but eternally. And all because of the completed and finished work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you so much. And uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. We pray in Christ's name and amen. <laughs>